about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way, it might be really good. Wow. movie and television series by television series hurtled through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time we're taking a look at the one shots, a series of short films that tied in with some of the early movies. Though if you prefer you can watch Ken Loach's A Contemporary Case for Common Ownership, Martin Scorsese's It's Not Just You Murray or Jennifer Anderson in Waiting for Woody instead. I'm Tim Worthington and we'll be finding out later what I thought of the one shots. Meanwhile joining me to give his thoughts on the one shots is writer Jim Sangster. Jim, where can people find you? Well, here's the funny thing, because I still can't talk about my day job, but with all these Blu-rays coming out of uh, old Doctor Who series, suddenly the things that I appeared on as a talking head in the, the two, 2000s, I'm suddenly back on people's screens looking younger and prettier. So uh, you can see me on the uh, Doctor Who Trial of a Time Lord DVD, and you'll shortly be able to see me on the season 14 Blu-ray as well. Well, it's quite interesting that we're talking about, well, Blu-ray extras now, because, Jim, what were the one-shots? The one-shots are a wonderful idea to promote Marvel's Blu-ray range by having little extra vignettes that tie into the previous one or foreshadow the next one. Yeah, and they started with... I mean, this, I always thought this was a bit of a cheat, even though I really like it. The first one was The Consultant in 2011, which is basically... If you heard the edition about The Incredible Hulk with Gary Bainbridge, we think that that scene was originally supposed to come after the credits, but they thought everyone's going to have left the cinema by then, so they brought it forward. But it's basically the scene with Thunderbolt Ross and Tony Stark in a bar, but with more around it. So what actually happens? Well, you have two Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we're going to be hearing a lot about those guys in the future. We've got Agents Coulson and Sitwell, and they meet to basically have a chat about that film, Incredible Hulk, and they keep talking about the consultant. And then we see the consultant walk in, and it's Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. It's just a, a really odd, because it's the shortest mm. of, of all of the one-shots, and it looks like it's discarded footage mixed in with movie footage, and it feels very cheap and yet really satisfying. Just to have that lovely little punchline of Tony Stark is so petty that he would go to the, the favourite bar of Thunderbolt Ross, buy it, and then bulldozer it. But because they can't afford to show us this, it's just two guys in suits in a diner telling us that that happened somewhere over there. <laughs> well, demolition is quite an interesting motif here, because re-watching it again, it never occurred to me before, but again, if you heard the Incredible Hulk one, you'll hear my thoughts about this, but there's a lot of setup in that film for characters and events that never happened. Things that were clearly supposed to recur, or, you know, Doc Samson was obviously going to become Doc Samson in a later Hulk film, that sort of thing. And they drew a line under all of that. And this is kind of because the whole point of it is that the Abomination, Tim Roth's character, will not be appearing again. It's almost as <laughs> if they made this to say, we're not going any further with the Hulk stuff. But it's so much more than that. Because like you say, you've got those amazing scenes between Phil Coulson and Jasper Sitwell. And Jasper Sitwell's an interesting character because he appears in all the iterations of the MCU. And he's not really a, that well-known figure, but he turned out to be quite, not quite the big bad, but... Well, he's certainly on that scale. He's significant in a number of ways. Now with Sitwell, because he's so distinctive looking, and he's a really fun actor, he's, he's really entertaining to look at, 
So when he pops up in, in like this and a couple of the other movies, and then suddenly he's given a plot point, and it's a staggering plot point, and you think, oh, finally, they're giving him something. Oh, right, that's the end of his story then. <laughs> Although he does appear in Endgame. In. What I erroneously thought until I went back and watched Avengers Assemble again was a recreation of a scene from it, but it isn't, it's an original scene. I think I thought that they recreated it, but I thought they'd like taken original footage and yeah. then played around with it. No, but, um, it's not in there. Neither him or Brock Rumblow are in it at all. And the funny thing with Endgame is, I think that's, we're going to get to this, but I think that's mm. one of the reasons why we don't have any more one-shots, because Endgame was pretty much a movie of one-shots. <laughs> yes. There's it? loads of, wouldn't it be lovely to have that scene? Wouldn't it be really lovely to put those characters together for a mm. short scene? Oh, well, there you go. Let's just string it along and make it into a whole movie. Well, there was an Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. theme to the next one, which was also in 2011. A funny thing happened on the way to Thor's Hammer, which again was an extended version of the post credit scene in Iron Man 2, but mm. I think there was a bit more forethought to this one. So what's the storyline of this one? The storyline in this one is there's a robbery at a garage and it's foiled by Agent Coulson being so cool. And all to the soundtrack of a Benny Goodman-style jazz riff. Do you know who did the music for that? Go on. Paul Oakenfold. Oh, really? You'd <laughs> never have thought, you know, listening to Happy Mondays 12 Inches back in That's the late 80s would be scoring yeah. a massive film franchise. And I think this is also, I don't know if they'd already decided to do the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show by this point, but clearly it's part of the we need to keep Agent Coulson around just in case we need him mentality. But this is the point when you think this feels like they're doing a backdoor pilot. It's a shame, though, because all of these little vignettes are more charming than the TV show could ever be. And they also feel a lot more like the real Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. from the comic books, in that they're wearing suits and they look smart. You know, They don't look like they're rocking up to a nightclub. I think that I would far sooner have seen the TV show Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in this kind of frame than what we actually got. Well, it is stated in a couple of places that the intention was to take Phil Coulson, who'd been kind of an annoying bureaucrat in the movies he appears in, and a bit ineffectual as well as his Captain America worship and so on, but showed there was more to him than that. And that, to me, smacks of... I mean, there are various stories about how Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. came about, and I think Joss Whedon has heavily implied that it was all his idea when he was making Avengers Assemble, which, to be honest, there is probably something in, but... As you say, they're very clearly thinking ahead with this, thinking we will be doing more with S.H.I.E.L.D. at some point. And it's, like you say, there's not much of a story to it. It's he falls a robbery and then he turns up at the crater in New Mexico and it's Thor's hammer, mm. which was the final post-credit shot of Iron Man 2. And it adds absolutely nothing to the, the opening no. story. Apart from Phil Coulson is brilliant. <laughs> Um, which they don't really exploit no. <laughs> at any other point ever. You're watching this going, oh, I would I would so watch the hell out of a TV show with this guy. And then the reality is no. That's no, the thing no, in Age of the Shield, he kind of becomes an annoying bureaucrat again, at least in the, yeah. early, the, the early series of that, which we'll come to, are really not very good. No. It gets better later on, but there is not much character depth. Let's just leave it there for now. Yeah. <laughs> then we've got item 47 in 2012, which is kind of again like an Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. backdoor pilot. So what was item 47? Item 47 was a leftover weapon from the Avengers. And this is where I think the uh, potential for the one-shots is, because it's things that you didn't think you'd care about. And then suddenly you go, yeah, there's all this rubble, there's all this stuff. Mm. Who cleans it up? Well, it's S.H.I.E.L.D. Fantastic. But basically, this is another one of these um, heist stories where a boyfriend and girlfriend decide to rob banks using an alien gun that they found after the events of the Avengers. The boyfriend is played by Jesse Bradford, who played Ryan Pierce in The West Wing. The girlfriend is uh, Lizzie Kaplan, who plays Claire. Last year, she played Annie Wilkes in the Castle Rock 
Stephen King anthology series and mm. it's weird when having seen that and then going back to this and going oh, it's the same woman and it also introduces Titus Welliver as Felix Blake he turned up in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. but more importantly I think there is this thing like you say about they didn't just leave the battle in Avengers Assemble as something that happened everyone moved on mm. no like the way as much as I love it Russell T. Davis here at Doctor Who does have that recurring thing about humans you've got such a capacity for self-deception you don't remember <laughs> the Cybermen invading but in this there's echoes of it right throughout it turns up in Spider-Man Homecoming the mm -hmm. fact there's all this tech around most of the Netflix series particularly Luke Cage where he does uncover kind of a gangland trade in bullets made from the Chitauri metal which yeah. it turns out can kill him so that's a brilliant plot point they really did use these as a way of sketching out new ideas, I think. At least with the Marvel Universe, they then go on and go, these have long-lasting effects. That becomes a running theme through the Avengers. You know, yeah. Civil War saying, as a consequence of that mission you did there, we're going to have to put some, some sort mm. of restrictions in. So it's quite good that this little one-shot actually has a lot of relevance. And yeah, it is something that they do use in different events as well. I mean, obviously, I don't want to say too much about them because they will be covered later on, but pretty much all the Netflix shows, including as a kind of spin-off from other events of The Punisher, stem from the fact that, you know, these vigilantes are looking at the fact that the Avengers don't want to help the ordinary people who are being kidnapped and sold by gangs like exploiting immigrants. S.H.I.E.L.D. don't want to help them. They've got to do it. And in The Defenders, they do make the point that these people aren't going to come after this weird triad with mystical powers. <laughs> so it's down to, down to Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, Luke Cage and Daredevil. Yeah, I love the fact that you can watch these things in their own right, but they are all interconnected. Yeah. I mean, it's funny the fact that in the, the reboot of Spider-Man, Tony Stark is kind of suggesting to Spider-Man be a local superhero because mm. local people need superheroes too. It's just that Spider-Man has the unfortunate habit of finding his, his, his small stories suddenly exploding <laughs> to become big ones. The fact that they, they kind of say, yeah, there's the certain superheroes that we're going to trust to save the world mm. and there's some superheroes that we want to save the street <laughs> or the, the tenement block and they've all got value. But in this, the fact that you've got two... You, you don't even have Agent Coulson in this one. You have two lower-ranking agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and they're, they're both really entertaining and again they're going to have a relevance in the future. And I would say that they were quite possibly if they weren't slated for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. themselves they were certainly the inspiration for I can't say the characters of Fitz and Simmons because for that first series they have no character at all <laughs> but the dynamic is there and the characteristics are there so again it's very clearly leading up to it I think but something that was definitely leading up to a series although they didn't intend it to at first is the next one Agent Carter from 2012 which I will make a rare reference in this to one of my tweets about it which I said it was like a Coen Brothers film that decided to start kicking men in the bollocks which I think is inadvertently one of the greatest things I've ever said this is a really surprising one so this is a flashback it's a sequel to Captain America and it's all about Agent Carter suddenly having to settle back into post-war life and to show that these are being taken seriously they've got Bradley Whitford as their boss and he's great at playing yeah. absolutely insufferable asshats to get someone of his calibre in this throwaway little thing really shows that when they said oh we weren't intending to do a series I'm sure they were I'm sure this is absolutely intended to be this is what we could do because unlike everything else the tone of this does actually match the series that follows even though they, they mm. change some of the actual events and they, they sort of reboot them in a way this really feels like okay if you want this series this is what it'll feel like and they deliver 
Well, apparently, though, it was originally intended to go out before Captain America The Winter Soldier as a short film, and they changed their plans with that for some reason. But that's all it was. It was going to be a lead-in to that, you know, establishing the foundation of S.H.I.E.L.D. and so on, which is kind of the coda to this, is Howard Stark and Dum Dum Dugan invited to found S.H.I.E.L.D. with them. Um, somehow they invent the bikini as part of it, which I've never quite understood. But it then indirectly led to Agent Carter, the series, I think is one of the greatest TV series of the past decade. I think it doesn't put a foot wrong. But the other interesting thing about this is, it's really understated, but the threat that she decides to go and deal with herself is the Zodiac, who are kind of, they're difficult to describe, but in the comics are sort of a criminal group who deal in things like alien tech, stolen secret formulas and so on. That's the first example of something from the comics universe being used outside the main movies themselves. I think from there, it's where you get things like the Absorbing Man and Ghost Rider turning up with Agent's Shield, or The Hand being the villains in most of the Netflix series, where there were characters that they weren't going to use in the films for various reasons. You know, they then felt the confidence after that to unleash them in other areas. And this, as far as I can tell, is the first example of that. Also, on, on the Zodiac thing, the fact that the voice of the Zodiac contact is Shane Black, who directed Iron Man 3. Again, to have a, a thing that is honest to God not supposed to be a pilot, having Shane Black playing a kind of uncredited voiceover mm. and Bradley Whitford as your main proper nemesis. It's not the people that she's having this massive fight with in the docks because she can handle that. What she can't handle is office politics. And isn't that often the way? Yes. <laughs> well, a very different kind of office politics brings us around to the last one, which is All Hail the King from 2014. Come on, just explain what happens to this and why you love it so much. What happens here is you start with very small expectations which are completely blown away because it's the best thing ever. <laughs> so it, for those who suffered Iron Man 3, sorry, spoilers, but I liked it, a lot of people didn't, but the best thing in it is that the, the fake out of the Mandarin. When you find out the Mandarin is not actually the character from the comic books, but some really stupid actor called Trevor Slattery and the fact that they've got Sir Ben Kingsley playing this character <laughs> again for a short is fantastic. The fact that they bring back a few other characters from previous movies to also appear in, in little cameos throughout this is fantastic. Also they've retconned as a favour for loyal fans to go okay we retconned who the Mandarin is in the movie that's for the general public this is for you this is a thank you for staying loyal to us to go we haven't destroyed the Mandarin. We might take a while to get round to him and his collection of rings, but to have this as a favour to the fans is beautiful. But my favourite thing really is the fact that you've got Ben Kingsley coming up with the best pronunciation of the word wank ever. He used the word nonsense, bloody hell, bollocks. <laughs> and I, I think I want this on a t-shirt when he says three little words, lovely drugs. <laughs> and um, the reference to the Liverpool Echo. There's so much <laughs> stuff in this that for us, coming from Liverpool especially, it's like, mm. wow, Liverpool exists in the Marvel Universe. That's fantastic. And then the, the attention to detail where they do an 80s TV mm. show with music by Mike Post. Yes! And it's, and it's done by Mike Post.
For anyone who doesn't know, Mike posted the themes from, well, this is just a small selection, the Rockford Files, Hill Street Blues, the A-Team, the Greatest American Hero, Tales of the Gold Monkey, and of course, Hardcastle and McCormick, which is a show that the existence of which still baffles me to this day. That attention to detail is just absolutely spot on. And there was something that's always bothered me about this a bit. I can't decide if it's deliberate or not. Now, he's called Trevor Slattery, and he's an actor that will do pretty much any job that's offered to him. <laughs> Now, a long, long time ago, there used to be somebody with the surname Slattery who was on pretty much every television programme in existence. And he loved uh, lovely drugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he has admitted that himself. He has, he has. And, and yeah. quite good on the legal well, side. I wonder if Ben Kingsley might have put that in as a kind of nod to uh, his old mate. Well, I don't know, I don't know. Because, uh, I mean, it might just be that Shane Black liked the name, you know, for, the, for Iron Man 3. It, actually defies explanation because this shouldn't be as magnificently good as it is and the fact that it is suddenly blows your mind when you start thinking well it's a shame this is the last one because mm. what could they do next if they could put so much attention into retconning a character from a slightly less loved film and making this so brilliant what is the potential for everything else well apparently the reason they dropped them was due to the netflix series emerging and agent carter and agents of shield as well but also they started to run out of space on the discs because apparently james gunn wanted to do one specifically for the guardians of the galaxy blu-ray and they found there was no room left on really? it at the planning stage and that's when it sort of ended i mean you are right all hail the king is like a mini movie in itself the others are like sketches almost yeah. like ideas with potential but this is a, a great little thing and also I wonder if we might see more of that given that the Mandarin is about to return in Shang-Chi and Legend of the Ten Rings so maybe yeah. there could be nods to it but it is a shame that they did because apparently they considered they were going to do a Loki one at some point there was going to be when they originally had plans to bring in Captain Marvel into Age of Ultron, which apparently they shot some footage with a stand-in with her joining the lineup that they were going to do a short with her to go before it. So she just wow. suddenly appeared halfway through the film and like everyone was startled but knew who she was. They were going to do a Howling Commandos one where they met Nick Fury, which I would have loved to have seen. Wow. There was a Black Panther one that was dropped because they said, hang on, we want to do a Black Panther film. Yeah. It is a shame that we didn't get any more. I mean, there are some wonderful deleted scenes. Have you ever seen the one from Infinity War about Star-Lord and Drax arguing about whether he's allowed to play Kiss in the, in the <laughs> The man who sings this is a degenerate. The fact that, I mean, the Marvel Cinematic Universe created expectations mm. of, of end titles and mm. clips in a way that we haven't really seen since the, the height of Burt Reynolds movies. Now you've, you've got an expectation where you're looking on the website going, oh, you know, can I go to the toilet now? Or I've got to wait for some clip that's going to maybe foreshadow something in two films' time. So that's kind of... The films have taken on that role of doing the, 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 the one-shots. And then, as I say, you've got a lot of the films are just one-shots where they're going to let all these clips put together and that'll be the movie. But I've still got a few that... I, I mean, there's two that I would love them to do. Now, the movie could never do justice to Civil War because Civil War has hundreds of superheroes fighting in Times Square and that exact same scene is about 15 superheroes fighting in a disused airport in Germany and it's not quite the same scale. But one of the many, many offshoots of the Civil War epic was a thing called Frontline, which was two journalists talking about the ethics behind the Civil War. And you've got one journalist, Ben Urich, who has been in the Marvel Universe for many, many years in the Daily Bugle. And one of them is talking about the registration as a good idea, one's talking about it as a terrible idea, but they've got a mutual respect. She looks up to him as an experienced hand, he looks down to her as 
she's going to be the future of journalism. And although, I mean, Ben Urich turned up in Daredevil and it was great, but I would love for there to be a one-shot, which was basically that ethical debate, leading into a spin-off series of Frontline, because it's fantastic. I mean, I've got quite a few I'd like to see. One in particular, I don't know whether they're planning to do anything with them in Guardians 3 or not, but at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy, you've got the actual original 60s Guardians of the Galaxy reuniting, you know, Sylvester Sloan with the various uncredited people, including Miley Cyrus as mainframe, which is really? quite interesting. <laughs> I'd love to see maybe some of the Marvel UK stuff, although that then does bring out the possibility of a Bross one-shot, because there was a Bross Marvel UK comic where they fought crime. What? Genuinely, nobody <laughs> believes me about this. There was. They only ran to a couple of issues, but yeah, there, there absolutely was. I, I can believe it just because Bross are one of the most incredibly weird yeah. musical events ever. Yes. But Wow. Oh, God. They're part of the Marvel. Oh, no. Oh, that's terrible. And there's a couple of other kind of very minor characters from the main Marvel setup that I don't think we're ever likely to see in films, but I would love to see, like Jack of Hearts in particular, who I've alluded to a couple of times. I think he's too weird for a main street. Genuinely think that, you know, and that also, how could they do the smoking eye effectively enough on film? But I'd love to see characters like him getting the fair crack of the whip you know you then start thinking uh, All Hail the King is so good what if budget was was not a restriction because mm. obviously they're spending their money very wisely they're choosing their franchises they're choosing which of the characters are going to be coming into main movies but they've been teasing us like mad and I would love to see a proper rehabilitated CGI Howard the Duck and every time you say that people go you're just saying it to be controversial and say no that film in the 80s should rightly be hated by everyone. It's a terrible mm. thing because what they should have done is got Danny DeVito, and you know they couldn't really do it at the time. If they did Danny DeVito from Taxi as a horrible, dirty, obnoxious <laughs> little shit, it's not cute. He's not wisecracking. He's horrible. Yeah, I would love to see that. And they've they've had him teased, you know, in Guardians of the Galaxy. He's there at the end of one of the movies. I'm trying to avoid spoilers, but yeah. you know, he is in one of the main movies. If you freeze frame and mm. and zoom in but that's the best thing about I love all of these little things that just say we're not just going to show a little bit of a spur scene that we had lying on the on the cutting room floor these are all scenes that make you think what could happen next how does this add to the universe how does this improve our understanding of characters and apart from the first one I think all of the others achieve that and that's why I think that they are deserving of an episode of their own in this little experiment of yours because uh, they're, a, mm. they're a fun little thing well, we'll be finding out what happens next in the next one. And this is your warning now to watch All Hail the King instead of Iron Man 3. It's going to be interesting, that episode. Anyway, Jim, thank you and Excelsior. You're very welcome. If you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can find more editions of It's Good Except It Sucks, along with details of my book Can't Help Thinking About Me, at timworthington.org.